I am Keith DeGreen. Welcome to As I See It. Now, in this inaugural episode, I'd like to introduce myself and our mission and provide a sneak preview on how I see it on just a few of the great issues that confront us as Americans, issues we'll address more fully in future episodes. Now, our mission here is first to contribute relevant insights on today's great political, economic, and life issues. Second, to give voice to what I believe are the views of the great majority of people of my generation and frankly, across all generations of Americans. And third, to have fun aboard my boat and wherever she may take us. Now we call the show As I See It. That's spelled S-E-A, pretty clever, huh? Because we'll present many of our episodes from my soon to be delivered sailing catamaran, The Relentless, and from wherever it may take us. Now, I encourage you to visit our website at degreen.com. If you wish, you can confidentially sign up to have us alert you to new episodes and to other exciting developments. Well, let's start with my favorite subject, me. (laughs) Actually, this is my least favorite part, but I really should introduce myself. So here's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I am a retired, some would say recovering, attorney and certified financial planner. Now, with the help of some great people and our clients, we built and sold two successful investment advisory firms in the Phoenix area. Now, as you'll see, I'm also a politico, a conservative politico. Now, if you consider yourself liberal, don't automatically stop watching. Let's see how much common ground we might discover together. Okay, back to me. I was born in Cleveland, earned a political science degree from Miami of Ohio, and my law degree from the University of Cincinnati. I left college to volunteer for the Marines. I fought in Vietnam, received a Purple Heart, and earned the rank of sergeant. While in law school, I was elected to the City Council of Springdale, Ohio, and I ran a small local newspaper. Now, I practiced law for a couple of years and then migrated to Arizona in the late 70s, yeah, I know, a long time ago, to pursue a career in, of all things, motivational speaking. For 10 years, I traveled all over our great country and to several foreign countries, speaking before hundreds of trade associations and corporate audiences. It was a blast. In 1988, I was privileged to be Arizona's Republican candidate for the United States Senate. I not only managed to parlay my youth and inexperience into a defeat, however, I also managed to go broke in the process. But this is America. I relaunched my career as an investment advisor, and by 2005, I was a leading Republican candidate for Arizona governor. But I withdrew due to a family illness. In 2007, after selling my first company, I thought I would retire. I bought a boat and piloted it across the Pacific. I remain an avid sailor, and that's why many of our future episodes will originate aboard my new ship. Now, in 2010, I flunked retirement. I launched a second investment advisory firm and sold it last year. Finally, for more than 30 years, it was my privilege to host a very popular personal finance radio show on News Talk 550 KFYI in Phoenix. I've actively supported responsible conservative causes and candidates for many years, and most important, most important, I am blessed to have five children and eight grandchildren and counting. 
My wife, Lynn, and I have been married for more than 30 years. We split our time between our homes in Paradise Valley, Arizona, and Newport Beach, California. Now, you'll find my bio if you're a glutton for punishment on, on our website at degreen.com. Okay, finally, enough about me. Let's get to the good stuff. Now, the way I see things is, I hope, the way you see things, but whether we agree or disagree on any issue, I encourage you to share your thoughtful comments on our website, degreen.com. Our show will originate from, as I mentioned, various venues. Now, today, I speak to you from my den at our home in Paradise Valley. Now, sometimes this program will originate from our home in Newport Beach, and as I mentioned, often from aboard the Relentless, and who knows from where else. Now, in addition to my commentary, we'll also feature interviews with knowledgeable, difference-making Americans. Now, who are we trying to reach here? Well, everyone. I hope, but especially, especially the richest, healthiest generation in American history, the baby boomers. Those of us born between 1946 and 1964 and our grandchildren. <laughs> On the theory that good sense often skips a generation. Not to say that my children aren't solid people. Anyway, let's get something straight. Us baby boomers, as a group, and as we approach or enjoy retirement, we are not docile, we're not stationary, and we're absolutely not irrelevant. We have a lifetime of knowledge and experience to share. Look, we've been changing the world since we started being born in 1946. We're not done yet. So here's a brief summary of where and how I see things on just a few of the great issues of the day. Now in future episodes, will provide expert opinions and respected authoritative sources to support every position I take. But here's a very partial summary for now. You ready? Here we go. Here's how I see freedom. Freedom is not an ideology. It's the natural state of mankind. We were born to it. We are equipped for it. Just as a bird is equipped to fly, our physical abilities and our ability to think and, most important, to dream, uniquely equip us for the thing for which we were born, freedom. Our Constitution does not grant us freedom. It protects our freedom, the rights with which we are endowed by our Creator. Democracy is the wind upon which freedom flies. Capitalism is the nourishment upon which freedom feeds. Democratic capitalism is by far the most effective method to generate broad-based wealth while also pursuing justice and the common good. Now, these are fundamental founding principles of the greatest nation in history. I look forward to defending these principles on our podcast right here on As I See It. Now let's take a look at our economy and capital markets. Here's how I see both our economy and capital markets. Democratic capitalism has helped us create the most productive economy on earth, yet Washington keeps screwing it up. Here's just one example. You know this. 
Inflation is inevitable when the money supply increases more rapidly than worker productivity. More money chasing too few goods. When we paid people to stay home during COVID, when the Biden administration eliminated the work for welfare requirement of the 1996 Welfare Reform Act, they guaranteed that productivity would decline. Now, thanks to Washington's boneheaded fiscal mismanagement today, each taxpayer's share of our $32 trillion national debt is about $250,000. That's $250,000 for each and every taxpayer. <laughs> it's plenty to discuss here. I look forward to doing just that on our upcoming podcasts. Now, regarding our capital markets, you know, I was an investment advisor for 34 years and I taught investing for many years before that. Look, I've seen every trick in the book. While I believe that prudent, long-term investors can do very well, I also know that other market players contribute enormous unnecessary volatility at your expense, and that many money managers, including those at the highest levels of Wall Street, often pursue self-serving agendas, again, at your expense. You think I might have a few opinions here? <laughs> You bet. And I look forward to sharing them right here on As I See It. Now let's take a look at the so-called income inequality myth. Regarding income inequality in America, here's how I see it. First, I don't know a single person who is unwilling to do their part to help those who are truly in need. That's not the issue here. Of course we want to help those folks. The issue is that the myth of massive American income inequality is the sand upon which the redistribution of wealth church is built. There's one problem, though. It's a myth. Let's talk about net disposable income in America. That's the money a family has left to spend after they pay taxes, if they pay taxes, and after they receive government transfer payments. That is, after they receive what most of us would call welfare. Let's compare that disposable income across some strata of American households. First, let's get this straight. Any unearned government benefit is a form of welfare. Therefore, Social Security, retirement benefits, and Medicare benefits, those things are not welfare payments because they are earned by working Americans who contribute into the system over their working lives. Social Security disability is just an insurance program. And just like any other insurance policy, you pay into it and hope you'll never need it. But it's there for those who do. That's not welfare either. No, actual welfare benefits take many forms, including temporary, but it's rarely temporary, assistance for needy families. That's called TANF or TANF. Medicaid, not Medicare. Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Programs, also known as SNAP, S-N-A-P, what we would call food stamps. 
Supplemental Security Income, SSI. That's cash money sent directly to the recipient. Housing assistance and the Earned Income Tax Credit, the so-called EITC, to name just a few. Oh, incidentally, those so-called refundable tax credits are unearned welfare benefits. Our politicians just use the tax code, the tax code, to distribute those unearned benefits, even when the benefits exceed, as they usually do, the amount of tax, if any, that the so-called taxpayer paid. In fact, most refundable tax credit recipients pay no net income tax at all. So in Washington speak, using the tax code to send people more money than they paid in tax is called a refund. <laughs> of course, anyone with half a brain knows it's not a refund. But then we are talking about politicians here, aren't we? No, a so-called refundable tax credit is nothing more than the transfer of money you pay in tax directly to someone who did not earn it. No, I am not opposed to social welfare programs, truly. I'm just opposed to stupid, excessive, or sneaky social welfare programs. And I'm opposed to able-bodied people collecting money they have not earned. Now, back to income inequality in America. Actually, when you subtract taxes paid by working families and add those welfare benefits received by non-tax paying households, those households in the lowest quintile, the bottom 20%, two thirds of which receive welfare benefits, they wind up with about, get this, $3,000 more to spend each year than the next 20% of households America's working poor. After government benefits, that bottom 20% of American households have net incomes of about $50,000 a year. That's about $3,000 more to spend each year than the working poor. I'm not kidding. Again, that's also about $3,000 per year less than the average or median middle-class household. It's that close. $3,000 a year more than the working poor, just $3,000 a year less than middle-class incomes. And get this, our bottom 20% of households in America have slightly more purchasing power than median or middle-class households throughout the entire European Union. So much for income inequality in America. But it's the excuse the left uses to take from those pulling the wagon for those sitting in the wagon. Now, incidentally, I promised not to get into the weeds today, but because I just cited specific statistics, I'll refer you to at least this one authoritative source. It's an outstanding book. It was released in late 2022, and the title of it is The Myth of American Inequality. Again, that's the myth of American inequality. It was written by Phil Graham, who incidentally was a senator and was chairman of the Senate um, Finance Committee, Robert Eklund, and John Early. All three of these fellows are eminent economists in their own right, and Mr. Early was a respected government statistician. So these guys know what they're talking about. 
Again, the name of the book is The Myth of Income Inequality. Now, there's one other point I would make here. As I think about the Americans who rely on government and not themselves, I think of something I read the other day by, of all people, a sports writer, very good writer, by the name of Jason Gay. He wrote, failures can be abrupt and sudden, but successes are incremental. Their gestation and development often hidden from sight. Amen to that. Success is often born of our lowest moments. Over the years, I have learned far more from my failures than from my successes. This is truly what America is about, the right to fail. The right to fail and then to get up and try again, and to fail again, and to try again, repeat, 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 until one day you look over your shoulder and you see just how much distance you have put between yourself and the person who never tried at all. Those Americans who are pulling the wagon know in their hearts that the only absolute failure is the failure to try. Um, we'll share more about the left's war on working Americans in future episodes of our podcast right here on As I See It. Now, another important topic. Here's how I see the greatest civil rights issue of our day, school choice. You know, America is the most competitive country on earth, yet certain politicians and unions have blocked competition at the schoolhouse door. The result? Generations of children have been trapped in underperforming schools and have been prevented from acquiring the tools they truly need to meaningfully compete. What I'm about to say will sound harsh and highly partisan, but I believe history and current events support my conclusion. The left needs a perpetual underclass. Thomas Jefferson held the view that an education citizenry is a vital requisite for our survival as a free people. Yet, in my opinion, this ultimate racial deception has been practiced by the Washington Democrats, not all Democrats, but by the Washington Democrats, frankly, since before the Civil War, when they all left Congress to go support the South, depriving youngsters of a decent education to ensure an underclass dependent on government is the agenda. But not just any government, no, a government of sugar daddy Democrats intent on perpetuating in modern form the slavery they fought so hard to protect 170 years ago. Again, I know many Democrats who would never come near a philosophy like that. But we're talking here about the people who make a living by getting elected in Washington. And that's a pretty sorry bunch right now. Now, for many years, I've strongly supported parental school choice. Of course, parents and guardians should be able to seek the best education for their children. What a no-brainer. What a tragedy that we continue to lose what millions of young Americans could be contributing to society. If only they had a decent education. Education dollars should follow the student, not the building, and sure as hell not a union. 
Schools should compete to attract students, compete to attract students. And all K through 12 schools that receive public funds under school choice, whether public, private, or charter, should report and be held accountable for the aggregate academic progress their students make regardless of students' study levels. Now, I'm not talking about reporting the results publicly of individual students, but we can, we should, and these schools can and should measure where the students were as a group in each class, in each classroom when the uh, semester began and where they were when it ended. And those reports should be made public. With school choice, so that parents can choose, so they can decide where they should send their children to school. With school choice, children can be made ready to effectively compete academically and in the real world. And they will succeed the way Americans have always succeeded based on preparedness and merit. Racial justice is not accomplished after the fact by admitting and then promoting poorly educated young people into college at the expense of other more academically qualified American youngsters. Discrimination to promote affirmative action is discrimination. Racial justice, real racial justice, requires that all American children receive the education they need to compete. It requires parental school choice in grades K through 12. Oh, I truly believe that school choice is the civil rights issue of our day. And I look forward to discussing it with you in more detail. Incidentally, good and great teachers take heart. With school choice, schools will compete for the best and brightest teachers. Lousy teachers will finally be forced to find another line of work. Good riddance. Don't let the door hit you in the butt on the way out. They'll be on their way out while you, good and great teachers, will earn top dollar. Now, I'll have plenty to say about education in future episodes of As I See It. Let's now talk about culture wars and wokeness. Regarding the culture wars and wokeness, this is how I see things. Personally, I believe that people should advance based on merit, based on their character, their skills, and their performance. College affirmative action directors and corporate and government DEI directors, directors of diversity, equity, and inclusion, are America's new political commissars. And when companies start managing their affairs on behalf of, as they say, all stakeholders, rather than exclusively on behalf of the shareholders who have risked their hard-earned money by investing in that company, well, then we're all in real trouble. Also, when a bank or money manager seeks so-called ESG investments, environmental, social, and governance investments, get this straight. They are using your money to signal their virtue and probably to advance a social and political agenda that you do not support. Now, that doesn't mean that investment advisors should not take a longer view, but they are over the edge on this. And incidentally, there really is no well-established standard for what even constitutes 
uh, a environmentally uh, an ASG type company. There just isn't. It's. Uh, we'll talk more about that. I promise. Here's a better idea: if these money managers are using your money, then they should work to make you money, and then let you decide what to do with it. Meanwhile, he, she, it, they, whatever. Feel free to refer your, to yourself however you wish, but please don't expect me to keep track of your pronoun du jour. Look, and I say this with love, on behalf of the vast majority of Americans, nobody really gives a damn who you sleep with. But if you were born with outdoor plumbing, you're a male. If you were born with indoor plumbing, you're a female. Sure, you can mutilate yourself or dress differently. Go ahead if you're an adult. And who knows, you might even fool me at first glance. But that does not change what God made you. Also, and this to me is so important, when you define yourself by your membership in a group, any group, you risk losing your individual identity. Your identity, your character, is not defined by what group you belong to. It is defined by what you do when no one's looking. Always remember this. You are a sacred minority of one. And incidentally, I think it is criminal, actually criminal, for a parent to allow or even to encourage a child, a child, to undergo a sex change operation or sex-oriented cosmetic surgery. I cannot think of a more irresponsible act. You know, it really is as simple as Andy of Mayberry made it years ago. He said, I'm afraid it don't work that way. You can't let a young un decide for himself. He'll grab at the first flashy thing with shiny ribbons on it. Then, when he finds out there's a hook in it, it's too late. Wrong ideas come packaged with so much glitter, it's hard to convince them that other things might be better in the long run. All a parent can do is say, wait. But we won't wait to address this sensitive issue on future editions of our podcast, as I see it. Now, here's how I see climate change and the environment. In my opinion, there are three schools of climate change. First, there is the science of climate change that presents facts and findings, engages in fact-based research and debate, and that objectively reports its results. Great stuff that I support. Second, there is the politics of climate change that presents, manipulates, and if necessary, invents facts to promote a political agenda. And third, there is the religion of climate change that treats those who present data, no matter how flawed, as high priests, and that treats those who challenge them as heretics. Oh yeah, on future episodes of As I See It, I look forward to our deep dives into this topic, to respecting those who are trying to contribute and to exposing the climate crazies. And now, 
here is where I stand regarding our southern border. There are so many important aspects to the tragedy of our open border policy. First, I believe that the left's open border policy is far less about compassion than it is about the most cynical political ploy of my lifetime. An attempt to stack the electoral deck with a new dependent class that will support the liberal progressive big government agenda. Second, that flow of humanity across our border is a tragic commentary on the mismanagement and corruption of other governments who fail to provide the economic opportunity and freedom that all people deserve. And third, and most important, our open door policy facilitates the entry of lethal drugs that kill more than 100,000 mostly young Americans every year. 100,000. That's nearly twice as many Americans each year than died in our entire 20 years of involvement in Vietnam. Each year. To be trading American lives for potential votes is absolutely, positively beneath contempt. Yes, we'll stay on this critical issue in the future, right here on As I See It Podcasts. Now, here's how I see America's role in the world and what it ought to be and the threat posed by the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. You know, Chinese tradition holds that there cannot be two emperors under the sun. Over the century, China's literature has featured many stories of the soft, sluggish, descending emperor overtaken by the strong, agile, ascending emperor. Now, the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, fancies itself as the ascending emperor and the U.S. as the descending emperor. But they have it all wrong. The United States is not an emperor at all. We are the emperor's messenger. The emperor is freedom. If and only if we are vigilant, freedom will never descend. Now, in my opinion, the CCP represents the most serious existential threat to freedom and democracy in generations, maybe ever. Ironically, we helped it grow powerful. Now, remember, in China, the CCP is above the government. Literally, that's how it works. Under uh, President Xi, um, he is the central authority. The CCP radiates its orders to the government. The government spends its time making sure it gets those orders correct and implements them. And then the people, well, they're left with whatever the CCP and the government tells them they got to do. It's a horrible, horrible system. You know, just as an aside, there has never been ever a communist economy that did not require an authoritarian, totalitarian government political system to support it. Now, as we confront the CCP, we must absolutely, we must absolutely apply every reasonable and responsible effort politically, economically, and militarily to protect freedom throughout the world. 
uh, unfortunately, under the current administration, we're losing ground in three areas. Now, the Biden administration is doing a few things right. I'll give him some credit, and we'll talk about those things. But we're losing ground in three areas, politically with other nations, economically as we continue to facilitate the CCP's rise and hamstring the growth of our own economy with endless government regulations and other misguided policies, and militarily as defense expenditures continue to decline as a percentage of our federal budget and as the administration compels our military to focus on a bunch of woke BS that not only fails to advance military readiness, but also discourages enlistments. And incidentally, regarding our foreign policy generally, President Obama once famously said that the U.S. should lead from behind well, that policy was, in my opinion, a disaster. It resulted in, among other things, the occupation of Crimea by Russia in 2014. Now today, again, in my opinion, President Biden leads from nowhere. Robert Gates, who served as defense secretary for the Obama administration, recently wrote that Mr. Biden has, and I quote, been wrong on nearly every major foreign policy and national security issue over the past four decades. From the botched Afghanistan withdrawal, to our loss of credibility in the Middle East, to our sluggish, although substantial, aid to Ukraine, to our weakened position in Asia and the threat to Taiwan, to the hard left turn many Latin American countries have now taken against the U.S., all of these things signal, in my opinion, perhaps the most pitiful foreign policy incompetence in my lifetime. Oh, there are many challenges and many solutions here. America, as freedom's messenger, can and must reassert itself. Now, I certainly look forward to presenting more episodes on this important topic right here on As I See It. And finally, here is how I see the right to life and the right to choose. Yes, I support both. I believe a woman has the right to choose whether to have sex with whom, where, and how. And I believe she has the right to use birth control before, during, and immediately after sex. All of these are fundamental elements of a woman's right to choose. But if, after the exercise or non-exercise of those rights, a child is conceived, then, in my opinion, that child also has rights. On June 24, 2022, in the Dobbs case, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, which had previously found a carte blanche constitutional right to abortion. Now, even many liberal constitutional scholars who supported the result of Roe acknowledged that its reasoning was deeply flawed. Look, I'm a lawyer. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a philosopher or a theologian. But even I know that at six weeks, an unborn child has a beating heart. At between no more than 20 to 30 weeks, it can feel pain. At around 25 weeks, it apparently even dreams. And as any expectant mother with morning sickness can attest, an unborn child quickly declares 
with all the power at its command, I am here and I choose life. I look forward to our deep dive into this highly charged issue right here on future episodes of As I See It. Well, defending freedom and democratic capitalism, examining our economy and capital markets, the so-called income inequality myth in America, the greatest civil rights issue of our day, school choice, the culture wars and wokeness, climate change and the climate crazies, protecting our border, America's role in the world, the threat from China, foreign policy, and the right to life. These are just some of the issues we'll address head-on in future episodes of As I See It. And there are others, the arrogance of bureaucratic power, the lack of accountability among elected officials, the war on the nuclear family and on boys, and so much more. All these are issues that impact not just our generation, but future generations as well. We all have something to contribute as we seek to steer our country, our culture, and the world toward its highest aspirations. And we might as well have some fun while we do so. That's why you'll see future episodes, not only from here in Paradise Valley or from our place in Newport Beach, but also from aboard our boat, the Relentless, and from wherever she may take us. In other words, as I see it, will not be all doom and gloom. That's just not in my nature. Let's show the kiddies we can have some fun and make a difference. But no matter where we broadcast from, future episodes will focus on the facts that support how I see things. And through our website at degreen.com, that's D-E-G-R-E-E-N.com, you'll be able to offer your perspective as well. Now, I encourage you to stay in touch. Yes, the podcast will appear on all the usual social media outlets, but I also encourage you to visit us at degreen.com. Weigh in on the issues that matter to you. See extra content and be sure to sign up so that we can alert you to new episodes of As I See It and to other exciting developments. That's at degreen.com. And a final observation. Of course, these topics are important to all age groups. And regardless of your age, I hope you'll join us. But I'd like to say a special word now to those of my generation. You know, those of us who are a bit older sometimes are inclined to throw up our hands and walk away from these or other issues. But like all generations, you know, we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us, of those who made incredible sacrifices for us. We owe it to them and to our progeny to carry the banner of freedom to our last breath. Our incredible American system remains under assault, not just from foreign adversaries, but from within as well. Therefore, we have not only the right, but also the duty to share our experience, our knowledge, our hopes and dreams for our families, our communities, and for our great nation. We must fight today's battles with all the energy at our command. Gray hairs or not, have we the right to step aside? Have we the right not to protect to our last breath the cause of freedom? Our race is not yet run. We have miles to go before we sleep. As Dylan Thomas put it, do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. 
rage, rage against the dying of the light. Indeed, you and I, we have miles to go before we sleep. Thanks for watching this inaugural episode. I am Keith DeGreen, and this is As I See It.